It's certainly not my faith that got me through whatever trial it is that I was standing in front of. It was the faithfulness of God because we know there are often times that we are not faithful. But the truth is, Jesus Christ, God our Father, always proves himself to be faithful. His promises are true, and we can say yes and amen to that. And uh, I'm so thankful for that. Let's pray. Father, I am, we are thankful for your um, great and amazing promises. Thank you, Lord, that you remain faithful and true to all of them. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your ever um, watchful and loving and protecting hand that you have on us. And uh, Father, I pray that we would remember that. Thank you, Lord, for the faith that you have gifted to us, bringing us into your kingdom, into a relationship with you. Thank you for the place you've given us here in this church. And uh, Lord, I pray now that you would, um, you would hold the rain off until the service is completed. We place that in your hand, and we ask now, as your word is brought forth, that your kingdom would come and your will would be done, and uh, that, that you would pour your Holy Spirit out on the life of this church. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's, uh, let's talk about the humor of God right now. As I'm, as I'm sitting there uh, holding my phone, I go online to, to join our people that are um, joining us via our Facebook page. And uh, I, sent a, I sent two prayer requests. I said, number one, pray for me as I preach today. Um, because this is a different way for me to preach than I ever have before. I've never simply just walked through a passage. It's a ton of scripture today, so why don't you turn to Ezekiel chapter 30. Well, we'll start at Ezekiel chapter 33. But I've never walked through so much scripture um, without providing little commentary along the way. And so um, I'm ask, I ask them to pray for me as I, as I preach this way. And then number two, I said, and pray that the Lord would hold off the rain. And as soon as I hit send, it started to rain. And I thought, all right, Lord, <laughs> I see him chuckling about that one because now as I look at the sky and I walk to the other side of the building, it appears as though we're going to be safe for just a little while. But uh, let's keep praying that it doesn't rain and, um, and uh, let's see what the Lord does today. Hey, what are some of the hardest things you've ever had to do? Now think about it. Hardest things you've ever had to do. I ran a marathon once. That was really physically hard. And, uh, and I think about the, what, what it took to be ready to run that. It wasn't necessarily the running as much as it was the time investment in order to be ready to run that marathon. And I do have to say it was quite painful, even though I thought I was, I was quite prepared for it. But it was hard. That was really physically hard. Hey, you know, many of you know my testimony and my story. Probably the hardest thing I've ever had to do is placed in my um, area of responsibility to make a decision as to whether or not to leave my late wife on life support or not. That was really hard. Big decision, but at the end of the day, at the end of that moment, I, the Lord laid it on my heart. He said, listen, Todd, it is not, you are not playing God in this moment. She is mine. Whether you leave her on life support or take her off life support, um, I'm in charge of this, so I want you to, I want you to remove life support from her. And he took her home to be with him, and I, today I, I celebrate where she is, and I still miss her, but that was really hard. Hey, now listen, what are, now that, what are some of the hardest things that God has asked you to do as it relates to the expressions of your faith? 
Think about that for a moment. What are some of the hardest things as we sit here in our comfortable West Michigan communities? What are, what are some of the hardest things that he has asked you to do as it relates to the expression of your faith? Now, when I think about that, I think about how often, when, when he presents me with something, how often I am willing to step aside from that or to dodge the request that the Lord places on my heart. This past week, perfect example. And this one wasn't even hard. But in my heart, I wanted to dodge it. I was sitting waiting on someone uh, for breakfast on, I think it was Wednesday morning. And uh, as my coffee was brought, placed my order, uh, guess what the... Guess what the waiter asked? So what's your day look like today? What are you going to be doing? You know what I wanted to say? This is me dodging in my heart. All I wanted to say was, I have a day full of studying. But the Lord said, no, that's not, that's not enough. I want you to share more with this individual what you're going to be doing today. So I said, all right, Lord. I said, I have a day of sermon prep today. And the guy said, oh, really? What are you going to be preaching on? So he wasn't satisfied with that. And so I said, okay, well, I'm going to be preaching on Ezekiel chapter 33 and uh, spending a whole lot of time in the book of Ezekiel talking about what it means for us to be watchmen, what it means for us to be watchmen, people that are in relationship with other people, and we stand ready to declare to them when they're about to walk into trouble or when we see them in trouble. We stand ready, ready to call them out on it. And so... I think about that moment. I think about how I was tempted to dodge the opportunity to share what I was going to be doing, a message that would point the individual to Jesus Christ. How, how do you do with that? What are some of the hardest things that God has ever asked you to do? For his sake. For his kingdom. Well, I can tell you to be a watchman is not an easy thing. And it's, and it's filled with hardship. It's filled with um, scary things. But here's what I know. While it is often messy and it's often frightening, it is one of the, it is actually the most rewarding experience you can have in your life when you are doing the things that God has called you to do for his sake and for his name. Look at Ezekiel chapter 33. Um, and we're going to begin at verse 1. My screen is really dim. Actually, turn, turn to, or look at verse 7. We're going to start at verse 7, okay? This is Ezekiel's, this is God saying to Ezekiel, you are my watchman. You are the one I want to use as my mouthpiece to declare to Israel the danger they are in. Look at verse 7. So you, son of man, he says to Ezekiel, I have made a watchman for the house of Israel. Whether you hear a word, when, whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning. From me. If I say to the wicked, O wicked one, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked to turn from his way, that wicked person shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, that person shall die in his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul. Here's what God is saying to Ezekiel. I am calling you to be my mouthpiece to Israel. They are walking into, they are in a position that they find themselves in much danger because they are living in sin. And Ezekiel is being told, I want you to declare that to them. 
But understand this, as they live in their sin, they're going to die for their sin, whether you say it or not. Yet you bear responsibility. Their blood will be on your hands if I say to you, declare this to them, and you don't. That makes you a sinner because you're not listening to me. I am calling you to declare this. If you, don't, if you do declare it, you have done what I've asked you to do. Yet, if they continue to live in their sin, not listening to the word that you have said on my behalf, they still bear their own responsibility for their sin. And so here we are. God is calling us to be watchmen just like Ezekiel. When I think of the word watchman, Christian is one of my favorite names. It's it's a name that is given to us because we are in relationship with Jesus Christ. I love that name. And then I think of the power that comes with the name Watchman. I said to two guys this morning, Dave and Eric, and uh, I said to them, hey, if I say the name Heimdall, do you know who I'm talking about? So I'm asking you right now, if I say the name Heimdall, do you know who I'm talking about? There are many out here do, especially if you are a Marvel comic um, if you like the Marvel comics. You know I'm a fan of Thor, and, and Heimdall is the guy who stands with the sword. It's amazing to me. Heimdall. He is the watchman over Asgard. He has eyes that are given to him, these piercing gold eyes, that give him the ability to see over the nine realms. And his responsibility is to keep watch over the nine realms. And as he's watching over the nine realms, he is able to see when there is danger. He also bears responsibility in guarding Asgard. Asgard is is where he is at. But he has this intimidating-looking helmet, these piercing gold eyes, and he has this sword that comes up to his chin. And I think about him when I think about our role as a watchman, someone that is watching and prepared to announce when there is trouble, and then someone that is ready to defend when they see trouble coming. That's our calling. We are with Ezekiel. When we come into relationship with Jesus Christ, he has determined for us that we are his watchmen over each other. And again, as I think about that name, watchman, as I think about that's what we are together for each other, and I, and I look at Heimdall. It looks like such a noble position to hold. Yet I know this, it's full of failure, it's full of pain, it's full of anguish, it's full of frightening things. I see Heimdall in the second movie of Thor, standing before um, those that, that, that are over him. And he's ready to relinquish his position because he has failed. Someone snuck into Asgard and now is is threatening the city. Then I think about my life. Man, there are times I want to run from that position watch guard, but God says, I have called you to this position. If you are in relationship with Jesus Christ, he has called you to this position. And while it is messy, it is so very rewarding to be in. We're going to spend some time now looking at Ezekiel's calling. His calling to be a watchman, so if you want to turn back to Ezekiel chapter 2. I've never preached this way before, and so I would ask that you would continue to pray uh, for me as I preach through this. Um, But as you turn back to Ezekiel chapter 2, we're going to be spending time looking at Ezekiel's calling. 
and then what that calling actually looked like. Some of the things that God used in the life of Ezekiel to try and get Israel's attention. Some crazy things, some crazy things. So as you turn there, um, Ezekiel chapter 2, we're going to begin at verse 1. Little commentary, a lot of scripture, so I'm praying, I'm praying, praying that the word of God penetrates your heart and says to you exactly what you need to hear today. Okay? Here we go. And this is what God said. He said to me, son of man, so it's God speaking to Jeremiah, stand on your feet and I will speak with you. And he spoke to me, and as he spoke to me, the spirit entered into me and set me on my feet. And I heard him speaking to me, and he said to me, Son of man, I send you. I send you to the people of Israel, to the nation, the nations of rebels who have rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. The descendants also are impudent and stubborn. I send you to them. You shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God, And whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, be not afraid of them, nor be afraid of their words, though briars and thorns are with you and you sit on scorpions. Be not afraid of their words, nor be dismayed at their looks, for they are a rebellious house. You shall speak my words to them, whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house. That's kind of hard to say back to back, are a rebellious house. I want you to write something down. As it relates to the position of watchman, it is absolutely impossible. And it's not just impossible, you would not have the desire to fill that role apart from the Holy Spirit of God being inside of you. Look at it. You can't even stand apart before God apart from the Holy Spirit filling you. The Spirit entered into him and empowered him at that moment to stand before a people that weren't going to listen to him, that had been rebellious. Even, even the generations past, God says, are impudent and stubborn. And he says, I am sending you to them. Apart from the Holy Spirit of God, you will not go. And you don't even have a message to communicate. It's crazy. Briars and thorns and scorpions, this isn't going to be a comfortable trip for you, Ezekiel. But I am giving you my Holy Spirit to lead you into this and through this as I send you. Cannot be done without the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 8. But you, son of man, hear what I say to you. Be not rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. And when I look and behold, and when he looked, behold, a hand was stretched out to me, and behold, a scroll of a book was in it. And he spread it out, he spread it before me, and it had writing on the front and on the back, and there were written on it words of lamentation, mourning, and woe. Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 1. God says to him again, Son of man, eat whatever you find here. Eat this scroll and go and speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he gave me the scroll to eat. And he said to me, Son of man, feed your belly with this scroll that I give you and fill your stomach with it. Then I ate it and it was in my mouth as sweet as honey. 
Apart from the Holy Spirit of God, we will not be a watchman. But as he sends us to be the declarer of his message, he gives us a message to preach. He gives us a message to declare. We don't have to make it up. And you see, you see, um, you see Ezekiel being offered this scroll, the words that God wanted him to declare. Write this down. As it cannot be done without the Spirit of God, sorry, write this down. It's God's message, and it's not yours. When he sends you, he gives you something to say. How important is the Word of God in our lives? When he calls us to be watchmen over each other, how in the world do we know what to say to each other apart from the Word of God? Wendy and I were on vacation a week ago, and uh, confession time. I didn't spend as much time in the Word of God during vacation as I should have. And when I came back, and I sat down, and I spent time in the Word of God, the sweetness of it made me realize how much I had missed the Word of God when I was on vacation. Devouring the Word of God is essential. It's as sweet as honey. And we should spend time with it, devouring it, teaching ourselves what God would have us to say to each other. Can't be done without the Spirit of God. It's God's message and not yours. Look at verse 4 now in chapter 3. And he said to me, Son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak with my words. There it is. You don't have anything to make up. I'm giving you the words that you have to speak. Speak with my words to them. Verse 5, for you are not sent to a people of foreign speech and a hard language, but to the house of Israel, not to many peoples of foreign speech and a hard language, whose words you cannot understand. Surely, if I sent you to such, they would listen to you. But the house of Israel will not be willing to listen to you. Why? For they are not willing to listen to me. Because all the house of Israel has a hard forehead and a stubborn heart. Israel has a hard forehead and a stubborn heart. You know that type, don't you? Even think of yourself from time to time. As God has placed us to be watchmen over each other, how often have you made it difficult for those in your life to say the hard thing to you? Hard-headed, stubborn. How often have you, has God called you to approach someone that you see entering into sin, living in sin? He's called you to go and declare that to them, and they need to turn from it and repent. And you are met with a hard, and a, a hard heart and a stubborn spirit. No one wants to do that. I for sure don't, but it's our calling. Remember, apart from the Spirit of God, we don't enter into that. He has given us His message to declare. Write this down. It's not up to you. God said to them, God said to Ezekiel, I want you to declare this message, my words. But listen, they're not going to hear you because they haven't heard me. When I read that, here's what God is saying. This is ultimately up to me, it's not up to you. What I'm asking you to do is declare is to declare. It's not up to you. You open your mouth, you speak my word, and you let me do the rest. And then we see God preparing Ezekiel 
for, for the approach of the one that's hard-headed and stubborn. Look at verse 8. Behold, I have made your face as hard as their faces, and your forehead as hard as their foreheads. Like emery, harder than flint, have I made your forehead. Fear them not, nor be dismayed at their looks, for they are, re- they are a rebellious house. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, all my words that I shall speak to you, receive into your heart. There's the necessity of God's word in Ezekiel's heart. And hear with your ears, and go to the exiles, to your people, and speak to them, and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, whether they hear or refuse to hear. Write this down. God will prepare you for conflict. You guys, many of you know that uh, I like to go barefoot. Matter of fact, in the summer, I'm probably 90% of the time without shoes on. And, uh, but that's hard. That's hard in April and May because my feet have softened over the course of the winter because I'm always wearing shoes. And so it's my goal in Grand Haven, if you start at, if you start at Chinook Pier and you walk to the end of the pier, it's a mile and a half, so it's a three-mile walk. My goal by the end of a couple of weeks is to have my feet toughened up so much that I can walk that barefoot. I personally believe it's good for us to be barefoot. It's healthy. But it's hard early because my feet aren't ready for it. But then they callous up and they get to the point where I can actually do that. You know, when I see statements like this, I'm, I'm making your face as hard as their faces and your forehead as hard as their foreheads. I think about statements like this in the Bible that make me think, okay, God, how do you do that? In the moment you say, Ezekiel, bam, your forehead is hard, your head is harder than flint. Or, or does he work it over the course of time and practice like me walking barefoot? I think of when, I think of when uh, Solomon asked for wisdom God, give me your wisdom. I believe in the moment God said, you are wise. But I also believe he grew in his wisdom and understanding over the course of his life as the Lord walked him through it. Ken referenced James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4, when he said, when, when, when James says to us, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of various kinds. Because you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that you are mature and complete, not lacking anything. When we ask God to strengthen us, to harden us, to prepare us for a moment where we are going before someone we know is stubborn and hard-headed, he answers that prayer. And I can tell you, based on my personal experience, the more you permit yourself to engage in that type of conflict that the Lord is walking you into, the easier it gets. Your forehead becomes harder. You begin to to receive the power and recognize the protection of the Holy Spirit as you engage in the very thing that He has called you to. God will prepare you to face the ones in your life that are hard to face. And I praise the Lord for we don't have to make the message up because he has already given it to us. 
Let's keep moving. Verse 12. Then the Spirit lifted me up, and I heard behind me the voice of a great earthquake. Blessed be the glory of the Lord from its place. It was the sound of, of the wings of the living creatures as they touched one another, and the sound of the wheels beside them, and the sound of a great earthquake. Verse 14 says, The Spirit lifted me up and took me away, and I went. How? He went in bitterness. He went in bitterness at the heat of his spirit, the hand of the Lord being strong upon me. And I came to the exiles at Tel Abib who were dwelling by the Chabar Canal. And I sat there, and I sat where they were dwelling. And I sat there overwhelmed among them seven days. I think I would have sat there in bitterness as well. But that expression of bitterness... The people of Israel saw, okay, this man, something is heavy on this man right now. I went in bitterness to the, in the heat of my spirit, but the hand of the Lord was heavy upon him. When the Lord calls you to be a watchman, when you come into relationship with him through the work of the cross of Jesus Christ, he sets you up as watchman and he calls you to be a watchman over each other. And sometimes... Sometimes it's hard, and his heavy hand is on you, and you cannot escape it. The Lord is gracious, and he is compassionate with us. He is slow to anger. He is abounding in loving kindness. He knows how hard this is for us. And he sat, Ezekiel sat for seven days. And then look at verse 16. And at the end of the seven days, the word of the Lord came to me. And he said, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning for me. If I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way in order to save his life, that wicked person shall die for his iniquity. Ezekiel, speak, I am telling you, speak this to that person, to these people, and declare to them their iniquity because they are about to die for their iniquity. And if you don't, that wicked person shall die for his iniquity, but his blood will be required at your hand. Verse 19, but if you warn the wicked, and he does not turn from his wickedness or from his wicked way, he shall die for his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul. Ezekiel bears responsibility. To not do what the Lord has asked him to do is to be sinful. And by doing what the Lord has asked him to do, he is saving his soul. Again, verse 20, if a righteous person turns from his righteousness and commits injustice and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die. And so even the individual that practices righteousness, if he turns from that and God puts a stumbling block in front of him, he's going to suffer because he has chosen unrighteousness. Because you have not warned him, he shall die for his sin. And his righteous deeds that he has done shall not be remembered. But his blood I will require at your hand. Verse 21. 
But if you warn the righteous person not to sin, and he does not sin, he shall surely live, because he took warning, and you will have delivered your soul. And so here's what we have. Ezekiel's call to be a watchman. God has said to him, I am giving you my spirit. I'm giving you a message. I'm calling you to to declare to my people, as stubborn and as hard-headed as they are, I want you to declare to them their iniquity and their sin. They're not going to listen, but I still want you to do it. This is the call of the watchman that God placed over Ezekiel. And for each one of us, this is our call when we come into relationship with Christ. And again, I think of Heimdall, and I think of him standing there in his stately position, standing ready to declare when trouble is coming. And it looks clean when he's just standing there, but when things start getting messy, he gets messy. And this is when the true challenge comes. That's Ezekiel's call, watchman. That's our call, to be a watchman. Now let's look how messy it was for Ezekiel. Turn to chapter 4, if you would, please. Chapter 4, verse 1. This is the first thing that Ezekiel had to do in order to declare to them their iniquity. I was talking with Charles about this, and he said, look at the theatrical nature of all of this, the, the outlandish, the outrageous nature of the things that God has asked him to do. And wondering why he had to be so theatrical in his nature of declaring this message, he was trying really, really hard to get the attention of the people of Israel. And so he says, you son of man, take a brick and lay it before you and engrave on it a city, even Jerusalem, and put siege works up against it and build a siege wall against it and cast a mound against it, set camps also against it and plant battering rams against it all around. And you take an iron griddle and place it as an iron wall between you and the city and set your face toward it and let it be in a state of siege and press the siege against it. This is a sign for the house of Israel. Now, I want you to think about this. There's a grown man asked to build this model in the sight of Israel. Here's what it would look like for us, I imagine. God says to you, I want you to go to the town center of either Holland or Grand Haven or wherever. And I want you to take a tub full of Legos And I want you to start building this model to declare to the people of your community that they are living in iniquity. I can't imagine having to do that. But that's what God asked him to do. Let's keep moving. Verse 4, he says, Then I want you to lie on your left side and place the punishment of the house of Israel upon it. For the number of the days that you will lie on it, you shall bear their punishment. For I assign to you a number of 390 days, equal to the number of the years of their punishment. So long shall you bear the punishment of the house of Israel. Verse 6, And when you have completed these, you shall lie down a second time, but on your right side, and bear the punishment for the house of Judah. Forty days I assign you, a day for each year. And you shall set your face toward the siege of Jerusalem with your arms bared, And you shall prophesy against the city. And behold, I will place cords upon you so that you cannot turn from one side to the other till you have completed the days of your siege. Now listen. Imagine this. After you've built this model, 
you were bound up to lie on one side for 390 days. You can't move. And this is a declaration of what happens to the Israel as they live in iniquity. And then if that's not enough, a year and a month or so, you're going to roll onto your other side and lay there for 40 days. Again, outlandish. And my head goes to the Lord, why? Why? God is trying to get the attention through his prophet, trying to get the attention of his people Israel. Let's keep moving. Verse 9 says, and, and as you're laying on your side, you, verse 9, take wheat and barley, beans and lentils, millet and emmer, and put them into a single vessel and make your bread from them. During the number of days that you lie on your side, 390 days, you shall eat it. And so here's what it is. This is a declaration to Israel that you're entering into a time where food is going to be very scarce. And you're going to scrape up anything you can to satisfy your hunger. This is what, this is what Ezekiel is declaring through this. I lost my place. Bear with me. So that's what you're going to eat. During the number of days that you lie on your side, 390 days you shall eat it. Verse 10. And your food that you eat shall be by weight, 20 shekels a day, from day to day you shall eat it. And water you shall drink by measure, the sixth part of a hen, from day to day you shall drink it. And you shall eat, eat it as a barley cake and bake it in their sight on human dung. Pause for a second. That's like... Who goes, to a, who goes to a restaurant and orders an eight-ounce steak? Because that's about how much by weight he was given per day. Let's make it more real. Eight ounces of cereal is what you get every day for 390 days plus 40. That's what he had, and he had to consume it as he was lying on his side. And he got, and I'm assuming there would have been a, a time where it was hot, a season where it was hot, where he was lying on his side. He's given just a little more than a pint of water every day. As he lies on his side. And then he says, I want you to bake this in the sight of everyone on human dung. In verse 13, the Lord said, Thus shall the people of Israel eat their bread unclean among the nations where I will drive them. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, we see his mercy here. In a sense, behold, I have never defiled myself. From my youth up until now, I have never eaten what died of itself or was torn by beasts, nor has tainted meat come into my mouth. And then he said to me, God said to Ezekiel, See, I assign to you cow's dung instead of human dung on which you may prepare your bread. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, behold, I will break the supply of bread in Jerusalem. They shall eat bread by weight and with anxiety, and they shall drink water by measure and in dismay. I will do this that they may lack bread and water and look at one another in dismay and rot away because of their punishment. Tied up, lying on his side for a, month, a year and a couple of months, meager rations, Meager water. Baking his food in the sight of all on cow's dung. This is what God asked Ezekiel, the watchman, 
to do for his people Israel. So let me ask you again, what's the hardest thing God has ever asked you to do? As we live in our, in our West Michigan cultures, and I think of myself sitting at a breakfast table and fearful to say to a guy that I have a sermon to prepare. What's the hardest thing God has ever asked you to do? You don't have to turn there. There's one more um, thing about Ezekiel's life that I want to share with you. The hard things that God asked Ezekiel to do to declare to his people Israel their iniquity. In chapter 24, God says to Ezekiel, I'm about to take the delight of your eyes away from you at a stroke. Yet you shall not mourn or weep, nor shall tears run down your face. He says, you may sigh, but not aloud. Make no mourning for the dead. Bind on your turban and put, on, put your shoes on your feet. Do not cover your lips, nor eat the bread of men. So I spoke to the people in the morning, and at evening my wife died. And on the next morning, Ezekiel says, I did as I was commanded. What's the hardest thing the Lord has ever asked you to do? To get the attention of the people in your life that you see living in iniquity. God says, I'm taking away your wife, but you cannot mourn for her. And I think about how hard that must have been for Ezekiel. And then what does Ezekiel say? Which should be our response every time the Lord asks us to act on his part. I did as I was commanded. I did what I was commanded. Hardest thing you've ever had to do for the sake of Jesus. Hardest words you ever had to declare. Why? Why are we so tempted to not do what God commands us? Let me bring it home. Ezekiel. This is us. Son of God. Daughter of God. You are called to be a watchman over the house of God, over the church, over each other. You are a Christian. You are a disciple maker. You are his watchman. You are called to fulfill the role of watchman. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says this to us, that we are, when we come into relationship with him, he extends to us his forgiveness, and he expects us to declare the person of Jesus Christ to those he brings into our life. We are his ambassadors. We are supposed to look like him. So let me ask you this. What keeps you from being the watchman that God has called you to be. Maybe for some of you it's just simply laziness. It takes too much work. It's too hard, so I'm not even going to enter into it. Maybe your heart is apathetic and you don't have a concern or a love for the people of the church like you should have. Maybe for some of you it's too frightening or too hard. But this is what we are called to to be watchmen. Who in, you, who in your life are you a watchman over? Can you identify it? 
Who are the people that God has placed under your care that you are called to be a watchman over? What is it that makes it so frightening and so hard? Especially when you see a loved one living a life that is contrary to what the Bible would have to say to them. I think about, I think about the husband that sees his wife living in iniquity, living out a sinful life, and because of the hell that he's afraid that he will have to pay, he refuses to say anything to his wife. God says you will be held to account for that. I think of the wife that's afraid to approach her husband and call him out on his anger because of the hell she knows she will have to pay for even mentioning it. It's hard, hard stuff. Think about the life of Ezekiel. I think about the parent that sees his or her daughter not dressing in an appropriate manner, and because of the hell that he or she is afraid that they will have to pay for addressing how their daughter is dressing, they avoid it. When I'm tempted to think about these hard things in my life, I think about the life of Ezekiel and the things that God asked him to do, and I ask myself the question, what's the hardest thing that God has ever asked me to do? I think Ezekiel would jump at the chance to go after the teenage boy that is gaming too much. He's like, man, this one's easy. I don't even have to lay on my side to do that one for 390 days. Who in your life are you watchmen over? And when I read through this, I'm so tempted to think about God, how mean he is. Why are you so mean, God? Why would you ask one of your prophets to do these things? Well, we know Scripture says that God is not mean. He is gracious. He is compassionate. He's slow to anger. He is abounding in loving kindness. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. The Spirit of God is gentle and compassionate. But asking why is God so mean is the wrong question. First of all, if, if, if you look at Ezekiel chapter 33, first nine verses, that's where God is again talking to Ezekiel about being the watchman. But in verse 11, he says, Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked but that the wicked would turn from his way and live. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says this, that the Lord, is, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any would perish, but that all would save, all would come to repentance. So asking the question, why is God so mean, is the wrong question. The right question is, how far am I willing to go to get the attention of my family member that's living in iniquity, that's living in sin. How far am I willing to go? That's the right question to be asking. God asked Ezekiel to do some really hard things. But what did God do? Through the person of Jesus Christ. 
Yeah, he asked Ezekiel to do some really hard things. He's asking you to do some really hard things, but he did a really, really, really hard thing too. By sending his son to the cross to suffer and die so that we could actually be in relationship with him. Him dealing with our iniquity. And that's what we are to be declarers of. Watchmen over each other. Declaring the person of Jesus Christ to each other and what he did for us. God's love is so magnificent. And so here's what this means to be a watchman. We're going to wrap it up right now, okay? You think about the life of Ezekiel and the calling that was placed on his heart, on his life. You cannot and you will not do this apart from the Holy Spirit of God. Remember, you cannot be God's watchman apart from, you will not want to be his watchman apart from the indwelling Holy Spirit of God. You are his watchman if you are in relationship with Jesus Christ. You have to be, as his watchman, committed to his message, no matter how hard it is. And I love it that he has given us his message. It's not ours. We don't have to make it up. He has declared it to us through his word. We, as watchmen have to be driven for a great, by a greater love for each other. We have to be driven by a greater love for each other. Because as we are driven by a greater love for each other, our focus goes to each other and not to ourselves and the hardship we have to endure on behalf of our loved ones. You have to be driven by a greater love for those in your life. And as we come into relationship with Jesus, as he declares us to be his watchman, this means we're going to have to do some really hard things. And we need to commit to do it because I can tell you this, while it is frightening and scary and hard, it is rewarding, it is meaningful, it has eternal significance and consequence. So when I think about, when I think about being a watchman standing on the wall of the city, watching for trouble to come. And when we see trouble coming, it's time to sound the trumpet. And I believe this, church. I believe it's time we sound the trumpet. I believe that there are too many, too many in our lives that claim the name of Christ. They're living a life of apathy. They have no regard for Jesus. And it's time for us to sound the trumpet. What's the hardest thing God has ever asked you to do for his sake? Let's together be his watchmen. Father, we come before you right now. I'm so thankful for your word. I'm so thankful, Lord God, that you, that you have even given us a position in your kingdom. Thank you for that position, Lord. And now I pray that we would be found as we've come into relationship with you, remembering who you are and everything you've done for us, that we would step out in faith and do the very things that you've asked us to do, even the scary things. Help us, Lord, to sound the trumpet on your behalf, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for that, Todd. When I think about my own life, I just 
sat there listening, maybe you're like this, just thinking of the countless times that I've chickened out, chickened out from saying the things I know the Lord is putting on my heart to say, caring much more about my reputation, or, or wondering if I open my mouth, if I'll actually say the right thing and not wanting to look like a fool. And I think so much of applying these messages that we hear are, they really begin with just dying to ourself and living with eternal perspective, believing that God is actually working through us and that our lives are about yielding to him. So we're going to sing this new song again that we taught you earlier. Let's stand together. Use this as your opportunity to respond to this message and to, to yield to the ways that the Lord would have you to speak and to live. I know he can do something in our hearts right now. I know he can break timidity and selfishness and all the things that we wrestle in our hearts with. So take some time, maybe shut your eyes right now and just ask him to do something in your heart as we respond to his word.
Hey church, I know a message like that, if you're anything like me, I'm starting to think about family members, I'm starting to think about friends, I'm starting to think about scenarios where I get very fearful and I think, I can't do that, I can't do that. And I begin to think about myself like the rich, rich young ruler who goes away sad from Jesus. And I'm like, God, I don't want to walk away from you. I don't want to think about the impossible task in front of me and just walk away from it because I know I can't do it. Let me give you a prayer. Think about Philippians, what we learned. It is Him who works in us, in us, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. The Spirit is the one who supplies us with the impossible task that God gives us. So I think in this moment, as some at church, we look and we say, God, you leave it up to me, I'm not going to do it. But I know you're powerful and I know you can supply the impossible energy and possible will to take over and give me the power through you to be the watchman you've called me to be. And so we're going to ask God to help us. God, would you help every single one of us give us the power and the energy that we need to be the watchman that you're calling us to be, that we would do the impossible task for our friends and family in the areas because they desperately need Jesus and we want you to use us. Hey, it could be God is calling one of us or a few of us to be watchmen down at the rescue mission at Gateway Gathering. A step of obedience says, you know what, I'm, I'm going to trust God. I'm going to join this team. I'm going to go down and make friends and make relationships with people who desperately need Jesus and I want God to use me in that way. If that's you, God's speaking to you there now, I want you to know that myself, Ken, we're starting a team and we're going to work directly with you. You will have personal help. You'll not be in it alone, but we desperately want a handful of Summit Church believers that would be willing to say, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay my life down for once a month to go down to the people at the mission to start to build relationships, not worried about how it's going to happen, but I'm going to trust God in it and work together with my brothers and sisters. If that's you, God's calling you to it, come up here afterwards, meet myself, meet Ken, let me put your name down, get some contact information, and we'll be in touch, and we'll start working and preparing our hearts to be able to serve God in this way. You come see us. Church, know this, always we say it. It becomes routine, but it's true. You are loved. God bless.